Good evening. Good morning. <laughs> Great way to start. Thank you for being here. It is a beautiful day, beautiful morning, and we are so grateful for the opportunity to be together. We're thankful for such a beautiful day, an autumn day, and look forward to many more. We appreciate so much. If you're visiting, we want to encourage you to come back. We are grateful that you've chosen to come to honor us today. With your presence, we encourage you to come back. We'd love to have you. If you're looking for a church home, as always, we invite you. Please consider the work here. We'd love to have you as a part of our church family. I do want to say thank you to Jared for preaching last week. I enjoyed the pleasure of sitting and listening to him. I appreciate Jared and all the great work he does and appreciate his willingness to teach, to preach, and to serve in so many different ways. And so uh, thank you, Jared. I want to call your attention to Psalm 139, Psalm 139 in our study today. In Psalm 139, David, of course, is the writer here. And David provides us with a glimpse into the majesty of God. When the word God is used, what comes to your mind? As you think about the God who is... The psalmist here, David, provides us with a glimpse into the nature of the God who is. And so with that in mind, I want to begin in looking at Psalm 139. And I want to talk first and foremost about the idea that God is omniscient. And the idea is He is all-knowing. He knows everything. With that in mind, look at Psalm 139, we're going to look at verse 1 and following. And David here is going to acknowledge for us the attributes of God. He said, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but lo, O Lord, you know it all together. You've hedged me behind and before. You've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot attain it. David here, in describing the all-knowing God that we serve, begins by stating that God had searched him. And not only had God searched him, but he knew him. The word searched here carries with it the idea to bore a hole, to pierce. We might use the word excavate. Sometimes we talk about those who are drilling for oil or minerals. What David is saying here is that God has thoroughly excavated him. He has examined him through and through. And what David concluded was the God of heaven. He knows my ways. He knows my words. He knows my walk in life, doesn't he? In other words, there is nothing about me within or without that God doesn't know. God sees all and God knows all. I think about the words of Jesus in Revelation chapter 2 when he said, 
that he searches the mind or the heart and reigns. God has the ability to examine us, to do a detailed analysis of us. So whatever we think, that is our mind. The motives behind our thinking, well, God knows that too, doesn't He? As David said, there is not a word on my tongue, but lo, O Lord, you know it all together. That's fascinating. Because what David is saying here is that God is the only being who has the ability to look on the inside and to see me as I really am. You wouldn't know what I was thinking if I didn't tell you. By the same token, I wouldn't know what you think unless you were to reveal that to me. And yet God has the ability to peer deeply into the resources of our mind. And He, and he can examine us. Note also, if you would, in verse 3, when He said, You comprehend my path and my lying down. The word comprehend here actually literally means to winnow. We might use the word sift. You remember Jesus talked about sifting the wheat from the chaff. God has the ability to sift throughout our lives. He can sift the mind. He can thoroughly examine everything about us and then draw some conclusions, can He? So we talk about the attributes of God, but then David said that he stood in awe of God. That is, in light of his tremendous knowledge, the wealth of knowledge that he possesses. Look at verse 6. David said, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Isaiah, many years ago, on behalf of God, said, My ways are not your ways, neither are my thoughts your thoughts. There's something about God that makes Him God, isn't there? One of those attributes being He is all-knowing. He is omniscient. And David said, when I step back and recognize that Almighty God knows everything about me, he said, I can't begin to fathom it or to comprehend it. I can't wrap my mind around those thoughts. Paul, in writing to the saints in Rome in the long ago, said, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past tracing out. When you step back and you look at the character and nature of God, you ought to stand in awe. David had the opportunity to examine the world in which we live. He had the opportunity to examine the human family. And after having made his examination, he stood in awe of Almighty God. You remember in Psalm 19, for example, David said, The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. In Psalm 8, David, here again, the writer of this psalm, and he said, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, you who set your glory above the heavens. And then he said, When I consider your heavens... And the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you're mindful of him? Or the son of man that you visit him? 
He said, you've made him a little lower than the angels, crowned him with glory and honor. David here stepping back, reflecting upon the creation of Almighty God. Matter of fact, he would go on to say, you put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, beasts of the field, birds of the air, fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. David stood in awe of the God who created this world, who spoke it into existence. And not only that, but created man and was mindful of him, provide, provided for him. God is a benevolent God. And so as our all-knowing benefactor, he knows exactly what we need, doesn't he? So David stood in awe of God. Now, there's a second thought here. First, we think about the omniscience of God. But then secondly, David said, God is omnipresent, ever-present. There is nowhere that we can go to escape the all-seeing eye of God. There's nothing that we can ever say or do that God's not mindful of. So note, if you would, what David says. First, he's going to talk about the fact that God is with us in the physical realm. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? He said, if I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. Imagine if you can going to the most remote region in our world. Some, in an effort to literally disappear from the human family, have gone deep into the, into the jungles. And yet what David is saying here is this. There is nowhere you can go there is not one single solitary place that you can ever go to escape the presence of God. In other words, distance is not a factor. You can't outrun God. Wherever you go, He's there. But then, not just distance, but also darkness. Have you ever been in a place that is just completely shrouded in darkness? I'm talking about you ever been in a place where you can't even see your hand in front of your eyes? For small children, that can be startling, frightening. And what David is saying here is, look, if I am completely shrouded in darkness, if I were to find a place where no one could see me, God sees me. God sees me just as if it were the light of day. That says something about the presence of God. So, first, He's with us in the physical realm, but then also in the metaphysical realm. 
Listen again to what David said. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. So God's with us in the world in which we live. There's nowhere we can go on planet earth to escape the all-seeing eye, the presence of God. But David is also saying, look, if I were to step out into the eternal realm, I'm still not escaping the presence of God, am I? David said in Psalm 23, verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Wasn't it the Apostle Paul who said in the long ago, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord? People fear death, don't they? There are many people that are frightened at the prospect of stepping out into eternity. Some rightfully so because they're not prepared. But those who are children of God need not fear the fact that when we leave planet earth, we go to be in the very presence of Almighty God. As Paul said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. To stand and to bask in the presence of Almighty God forevermore. And David here is acknowledging that fact, that I can't escape the presence of God no matter what, no matter where I go. In life, in death, He's there ought to be comforting and encouraging to us to know that when we leave this world, we are in the very presence of Almighty God. Paul would write in Philippians chapter 1, verse 23, to depart and be of Christ is far better. We're in a better place. We await a better day, don't we? We await to be with the saints forevermore in that place called heaven. There's a third thought here. First, God is omniscient. Secondly, God is omnipresent. Thirdly, God is omnipotent. That is, He is all-powerful. Go back and sift through the Scriptures. Samson was renowned for his physical strength, wasn't he? I think about Goliath taunting the children of Israel. And David, because of his size and his strength, And yet what David is saying here is, we serve a God who is all-powerful. So what about His power in creation? Well, listen to what he said in verse 13. And what David is going to point out is that God is not only the mastermind, the architect of the world in which we live, but God is the one who framed mankind. He made the outward man. He made the inward man. Well, how did He do that? Because He's God. He spoke the world into existence, didn't He? And the Bible says in Genesis 1.26, He made us in His image and in His likeness. In chapter 2, verse 7 of Genesis, the Bible says that God formed man from the dust of the ground, breathed into His nostrils the breath of life, and He became a living soul. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12 at verse 7, Solomon chronicles the aging process in life. In verse 7, he points out that when death occurs, the body returns to the dust from whence it was taken. But he said the spirit, that is, the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 9 that God is the father of our spirit. That spirit returns to Almighty God. 
So we are literally made inwardly and outwardly by the hand of Almighty God. So note, if you would, what he says. For you have formed my inward parts. You have covered me in my mother's womb. The word covered here means to interweave, to knit together. We would say like weaving a piece of material. God is the one who has woven the human body together. In verse 14, he said, I will praise you. Why? For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are my works, and that my soul knows very well. Now listen to this. My frame, my body, was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. He's talking now about that baby in the womb. And God is the, is the one who is at work, isn't he? He said, and skillfully wrought. Some translations say, and curiously wrought. Again, this idea of weaving various threads of colors into a glorious piece of tapestry. The human body, God's the one who has woven all of the muscles and tendons and veins and arteries together, hasn't he? He's the one who has created us, devised us. The human body is evidence for an almighty God. I read just this past week that our DNA, the DNA in one individual, the amount of information or knowledge in, that one, in, in the DNA in a human being would equate to some four volumes of encyclopedias. That says something about design, doesn't it? Some years back, there was a renowned atheist who had rebutted the idea of an almighty God. And over time, this renowned atheist debater came to recognize through what had been discovered by way of DNA that there had to be some intelligent force behind that. And so in an interview with him, as he was probed about why he came to believe in divine intelligence, he said, I've always tried to follow the evidence. And so the evidence brought him to the conclusion that there is a God in heaven. Now I know that in the world of science, they want you to believe that this idea of creation by an almighty God, that's just a myth or a fable. There are a lot of people in the science community that will acknowledge the God of heaven, the one who created the world. Sadly, some are fearful of positions because of their belief and will not state it publicly. But this man had the courage, the fortitude to stand up and say, you know what, I just followed the evidence. And the evidence is there is a God. And David said, when I step back and look at that baby that's framed in the womb. My conclusion is I have been fearfully and wonderfully made. 
We are the crown of God's creation, aren't we? And David here is acknowledging that very fact. In verse 16 he said, Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. Before that baby in the womb began to develop and mature, David is saying, God saw me in that unformed substance. And in your book they were all written, and the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. So, the power of God in creation. But then there's a second thought here, and that is praise for God in creation. Look at verse 17. In light of all of this, David said, How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. David stands in awe of the vastness of God's knowledge. The fact that he is omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent. God is all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present. But now he says, you know what, when I think about your thoughts to me, how great's the sum of them. And the idea is they are a prized value. Don't you think that's why in Psalm 1, David would say that he meditated on the law of Jehovah day and night? Because God's Word meant something to him. He cherished it. He loved it. Now drop down if you would and look at verse 23. We began in verse 1 where David said, You have searched me and known me. In verse 23, David now makes this plea to God. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there's any wicked way in me. Again, that word searched means to pierce, to bore a hole. And David is saying, look, you've already excavated my life. You have sifted my life. You know me inside and out. What I want you to do now is to dig deeper. I want you to dig deeply into my life. Sift out everything about me. And I want you to see if there is anything in my life that would be contrary to your will. I want to ask you a question this morning. Would you be willing for God to search you today? Would you be willing for God to deeply examine your life? To look at your words? To take note of your motives? To take inventory of all of your actions in life? Would you be willing... You know, the Hebrew writer said, Neither is there any creature that is not made manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. There is no one on planet earth that knows you better than God. Jesus said, The very hairs of your head are numbered. The psalmist said, He knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. So if God were to sift your life today, what would the conclusion be? 
David said, I want you to sift my life. I want you to examine me thoroughly. If there is anything wicked in my life, and then here's what I want you to do. Please lead me in the way of everlasting. What's our goal, objective in life? Our goal, objective in life, is heaven. There are a lot of conquests that we might make in this life. And I have no doubt that there are things that we have accomplished and achieved, and maybe there are many more things that we want to accomplish and achieve in our life. But our primary objective in this life is to get to heaven. If we miss heaven, then we're going to miss everything. And David is saying, I want you to examine my life, and I want you to lead me in the way of everlasting. Is that your plea today? Don't you want to be with God one day? To be in the presence of God? To be among the people of God? You can have that. Well, how? You've got to obey His Word. We know something about God because of creation. But we can't know the mind of God separate and apart from revelation. That's why Paul said faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So when we take the Word of God and sift through it, there are certain things that we find about the nature of God and about His will for us. One of which is God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants you to be saved. God cares that much for you. God has done everything possible for the salvation of your soul. The Bible says God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So if you believe Jesus to be the Son of God, and you would willingly repent of all sin, confess the name of Christ before others, and then do as they did on Pentecost Day, be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, Acts 2, verse 38. The Bible says God will put you in the church, Acts 2, 47. The church is the house of the redeemed, Ephesians 5, 23. Only the saved are in the church. So if you haven't done that, would you do it today? If you're here this morning and you're not what you ought to be as a child of God, could we pray with you and for you? One of the great opportunities and blessings in this life is that we can, as children of God, repent. Ask God to forgive us. It's called His second law of pardon. Once again, reclaim the fellowship that we've missed. John said it like this, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Won't you come as we stand and sing?